we have an organization right now that's building their three-year revenue plan, and sales is actually arguing for more money for marketing because they, they just say like, hey, you know, 60% of my, my lead flow is coming from marketing right now. And you know, for me to be successful, for me to hire more account executives, you need to do this corresponding investment in marketing. Right? So the, the point I'd make is, if you have that tight alignment with the revenue function, right? you know, the, and, and they think that you are fundamental for their success, it's going to be a different conversation. Welcome to The Get, the Marketing Talent Podcast. This is Erica Seidel, your host. We explore what it takes to get and keep the best marketing leaders in the B2B SaaS world. Welcome to The Get. Now, if you are a CMO or a marketing leader for a B2B SaaS company, you will likely interact with companies that have private equity or venture capital investors. Um, It's only a matter of time uh, before you do. And this episode is going to be really fun because we will talk about how to ace the interview with the investors and also about how you can successfully interact with investors once you are in that CMO role. It can often feel like marketing speaks one language and investors speak a different language. And so if you've ever felt that, this is going to be really uh, useful for you to listen to. My guest today is David Badler. He is a partner at Susquehanna Growth Equity based in Philadelphia. And David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Erica. My pleasure to be here. Great. Can you talk to me first about your role? Yeah, we're a unique fund because we don't have LPs or outside LPs. All of our funding comes from folks that started Susquehanna International Group. It's the largest equity options market-making platform, like essentially a, a tech-enabled platform for trading in the world. And these guys you know, built a 2,000-person business over 30 years, uh, you know, did quite well in the process. And, and what they said was, hey, you know, w- when they were building this business, you know, there was ups and downs. And, and, and if they had been on kind of the traditional PE carousel, where every three years you need a liquidity event and you need to kind of show IRR for your next set of investors, at best, that would have been terribly distracting. They said, you know, why don't we create a new type of fund that really doesn't have timeframes, you know, can work with founders and entrepreneurs on their timeframe, has a lot of flexibility around capital and how we deploy capital, and then just try to find similar great businesses that are growing quickly, um, you know, ideally are, you know, are bootstrapped or, or relatively cash efficient, and, you know, be part of that growth journey uh, and, and build kind of the next Susquehanna you know, via technology in, in a bunch of industries where, where adoption is, is still, you know, not 100% there. So I lead uh, the value creation function at Susquehanna. So, you know, we're, um, you know, we're, mixed, we're actually primarily minority investors, and I'll tell you a little bit more about Susquehanna in a second. But, you know, even with minority investments, uh, you know, cash is green, and a lot of companies want, you know, help along the way. You know, they figure, hey, for in Susquehanna's case, we've invested in 55 companies. Hopefully, we've learned a thing or two on that path. And then just the fact that we have 30 active portfolio companies, you know, certain things like hiring a CMO, you know, we're going to see it a lot more often than an individual CEO in our portfolio. So my, my mandate fundamentally is to, to serve our CEOs and their management teams, you know, to not get in their way, but to be generally helpful as they grow their companies from, you know, 10 or 20 million of revenue all the way up to, you know, 100 million plus. You know, about two years ago, came in to really build this function from scratch, kind of the first non-investing partner uh, for Susquehanna, and it's just been a huge amount of fun, um, both working with first-stage companies and, and you know, really building something from the ground up 
um, you know, at Susquehanna. Can you just mention actually a few of the B2B SaaS companies that our listeners might know of? You know, we, we've been pretty lucky in terms of the past 13 years in, in being involved in some great stories. So we're early investors in iSIMS. Um, they, you know, they scaled kind of from 10 million to now 200 million plus. Um, you know, we're current investors in Workfront. Um, you know, in terms of consumer brands you may have heard of, we also have investors in Credit Karma, uh, you know, Payoneer from a payments perspective and B2B. So, you know, we, we've, we've been lucky enough to, you know, be part of a lot of great stories. And, and you know, I think today we're probably invo- in, invested in 20 SaaS companies of our 30 active portfolio companies. So it's an area, you know, B2B SaaS is an area where we spend, you know, the majority of our time. Great. So talk to me about the different um, kind of marketing searches uh, for for marketing leaders that that you've been involved with across portfolio companies, what what kinds of searches are you seeing, and how are you getting involved? Yeah, so so revenue leadership is really um, really challenging. I, I think it's actually you know, even though probably CFO or chief financial officer, or VP of finance is like the most common search we get involved with. Uh, you know, I think actually the revenue searches are, are fundamentally harder. Um, you know, so, so, and we get involved in kind of a variety from the overarching kind of CRO role that we typically would see, you know, in like a 20, 30 million plus revenue company, although sometimes a bit smaller, you know, where you'd have a, a pretty wide mandate where it's both kind of sales, maybe existing and new sales plus marketing. And then we get involved in, you know, both like the VP level searches, right? So instead of this conversation, more of like a VP of marketing type role. And, you know, in general, when we're doing marketing, whether it's, it's part of that revenue search or it's part of a separate marketing search, um, you know, it's really around kind of the lead gen. So not Marcoms, um, not marketing communication, but really, you know, how do you generate revenue to grow this business and to accelerate growth in this business? But we probably get involved in a dozen revenue searches a year, uh, probably six to nine of which have some component or are specific to marketing. Mm-hmm. I like how you talk about just revenue searches writ large, you know. So, and you're right. Like I am seeing the rise of the CRO, and um, you know, what if what if somebody has been a CMO before, and now a company is offering them a VP of marketing job, reporting to a CRO, and that CRO owns, let's say, sales, marketing, and customer success, as is often the case. So, how should somebody kind of get over that? Should they they what if they consider that a step down? Have you ever seen that situation where a CMO ends up uh, in a VP of marketing job reporting not to the CEO but a CRO? And, and how should they think about that? Yeah, so, so all the time, right? Um, yeah, and, and I love this quote from Charles Sandberg. Um, now, I know Facebook's news for a lot of reasons, but I really love this, this quote from Arch. It says, yeah, hey, if you're going to get on a rocket ship, you know, try not to worry too much about what seat you're in. Um, and I, I think that's like 100% true. If I think of, you know, when I joined Susquehanna, like, you know, I was pretty C agnostic. I, I thought this was just an amazing fund. You know, we'd had, you know, they had four funds in a row with top death style performance. And I said, like, hey, you know, I just want to be part of it. And I'm going to work my way, um, you know, into the role that I, I want to have. But I think, you know, if you really believe in the company and you think it's amazing and you think it's going to be a, a tremendous growth story, I mean, that's going to be so much more <laughs> helpful for your career than being a CMO in a company that kind of piddles along and doesn't grow uh, or has a bad outcome for the investor, right? So I, I think first and foremost, 
you know, be really attracted to the company and its trajectory and be really excited about the team you're working with, right? You know, um, you know from a, a titling perspective, I, you know, one of the things that we're constantly combating is that we see like a $10 million ARR SaaS company bringing in like a CRO or a CMO. And, and we always say like, hey, that's, that's really risky, right? Because that person might be great, a great CMO at $10 million ARR. They might not be a great CMO at 50 million ARR, but they could be a great VP of marketing or head of some marketing uh, function um, at that, you know, that, that ARR. So we generally advise our portfolio companies to not use kind of the, the top level roles where there's nothing that can go on top of it because you want to maintain org flexibility. And, and I think a lot of times when you hear stories of people that have built great businesses, people change roles, right? People step back, you know, they step forward. <laughs> And their role kind of evolves on that journey to building, say, a 200 million ARR company. So, you know, if you love if you love the team, if you love the company, and you feel like you're being you kind of fairly compensated, I, I think the the titling is is you know it's, it's definitely kind of a tertiary priority. Can you share the key elements of the scorecard that you've seen used for a, a search for a marketing leader recently? Every company generates kind of lead flow differently. You know, so some companies are really driven by SEO, SEM, right? You know, so search engine optimization, search engine management. You know, and if you're driven by that, you know, you're going to be looking for a pretty different profile um, than someone that's you know really outbound calling focused, right? Like here you have a, a business development rep that's doing you know high velocity sales, etc. So you know, you really have to look at like how do leads get generated? Like what composes the funnel? Um, for a company. And, and, you know, there's a few different archetypes out there, right? There's kind of, you know, inbound, which I would consider, you know, the, the SEO, SEM, content marketing uh, market, you know, folks. And then you have outbound, which is mainly via, via calling. And then you have channel, where you're going to have partners that, that bring in leads. And I think, you know, your marketing person has a little bit different scorecard, depending on where you're getting that lead flow, right? So, with, with that said, you know, for let's say a 10 million ARR company, we'll typically see them still be primarily inbound. Um, so when they're looking for a VP of marketing, you know, they're going to look for someone that can really help with content, with search engine optimization, with search engine management, right? Especially if they're a lower ACV sale. You know, if it's a higher ACV sale, they're going to look for content assets that they can use in the sales process, right? You know, whether it's, you know, some form, limited form of account-based marketing, et cetera, right? But they're going to have very much kind of a content inbound focus, and they're going to have a scorecard typically where you've, you've generated X number of leads right, or X value of leads, some number of MQLs, um, you know, from those techniques. And, you know, those, and you have a history of a successfully converting those to sales qualified leads, right? Because we don't want to see just someone who's generated oodles of, of marketing qualified leads or MQLs without that corresponding conversion. You know, as you move into organizations that are more outbound focused, you might even see scorecards where folks need to have experience in managing business development reps. You know, whether it's um, you know the the outbound callers or people that just deal with inbound lead lead volume, and you know. It, and, and finally, we, we do like to see people, kind of regardless of scale, who are very strong on you know, marketing operations and putting in the fundamental processes, systems, people to create that, that lead machine um, and, and really build out that funnel, right? So those, those would be kind of the three generic categories that we see in the scorecard, right? So 
you know, success, history of success in generating in, inbound MQLs and converting to SQLs. Um, you know, number two, you know, experience, especially if they have to manage some level of, of business development reps. Um, you know, experience in, in that process if it's applicable. And then third, this kind of marketing operations, because they're going to be fundamentally building the basic infrastructure for a 10 or 20 million ARR SaaS company. And can they do that successfully, right? So those are kind of the three most important. And generally, we're trying to understand, have they done this before at a similar scale? You know, and that's, that's very, very important. Yeah, so if they've done this. Why is that important? Because I I see that all the time. Like, oh, we want somebody who has done this very, very uh, similar situation before. And uh, and then on the other hand, on the candidate side, candidates want to do something that they haven't done before. They want to be stretching into the job in in some way. And so I wonder, is it is it fundamentally, you know. Is it smart or is it unimaginative to want people to have done the same thing before? Can you, can you talk about that? So the way I think about it, so if I think about my days at SAP, right, like I, I managed our, our content marketing function. Um, but it was very much within like a content marketing machine, right? Like we already had our content management platform. You know, there was a separate team that kind of managed, you know, SEO, SEM, and, and I was kind of just a piece of it, right? So if you came in and you hired me as like a chief marketing officer, I was really great at creating content, or I think I was semi-great at creating content assets. But like I wouldn't have understood kind of how to do everything um, or build that infrastructure from scratch. Even though, you know, on my resume, I'd say, hey, we created you know, hundreds in this case of content assets, right? So for me, the scale point is, you know, it, it, and not to say it doesn't work ever, but, you know, someone coming from like an SAP or Oracle or even a 200 million ARR company versus a 10 million ARR company, there's just a different level of infrastructure there and a different level of building required. And is that person able to do that building? In terms of functional expertise, you know, we're okay if you don't cover all the bases, right? You know, so if you say, hey, I've, I've never done content marketing because uh, I was done by someone else, but I've done a lot of SEO, SEM. Um, I really understand the marketing operations piece. I've even managed kind of inbound BDRs. You know, we're fine kind of expanding from that core competency. So, you know, we're always excited about kind of step-up candidates who have done part of the job or have gotten exposure from the job to, 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 to the job but haven't actually been responsible for it. But, you know, where we, we get very cautious is folks that are fundamentally trying to scale down, you know, especially if it's a pretty massive scale down from a much bigger company to smaller. And we're much more excited about comp- people who have been in that type of environment and are trying to increase the breadth of their functional responsibility. Yeah, that's helpful. You make me think of a client of mine who is very articulate who said at one point, I would rather have somebody stretching into this role than stooping into this role. So I think about that a lot, about like there's the stretch into the role, there's the step into the role, you know, having done something very similar recently, and then there's the stooping into it, which, um, you know, in in my book means you've worked at a much bigger scale uh, and now you're looking at a much smaller company and, and rolling up your sleeves. And it sounds like that's, that's the stooping, that's where you get cautious and uh, the risk vectors, uh, you know, go into high gear. Yeah, and, and we've had to find people that are like, we, we've hired people from Microsoft. We, we just hired someone from Concur. Um, from one of our portfolio companies. And, and this, when these folks are really successful, it, it's like they really have a passion to get back into building, right? So 
we, we do look at, you know, there's this kind of fundamental personality characteristic. And, and when they describe, we actually ask them a lot about what they liked and didn't like about working at that bigger company. And you can kind of tell the people that are kind of itching, you know, they're okay. They used to manage 80 people. Now they're okay. They're going to be okay managing two people, right? You know, or they're okay managing no one. And, and they're, they're just itching to get back you know, into the engine room and, and work the gears, right? So I think when you are looking at people that are going to stoop down, you got to make sure they're kind of stooping down to get through that, that, <laughs> that shorter door to get back in the engine room and they're going to bring a wrench with them. Um, and they're not going to be standing outside and, and, and yelling for people to do things uh, inside it where, where they might not have uh, anyone they're talking to. Yeah, I like that analogy. That's, that's great. Thank you. Um, so I have a really supreme question, and that is that why is that you can have a CEO and a team that fall in love with a candidate and then put that candidate forth to the investor, and the investor meets the candidate and says, uh-uh, no way, ding, ding, ding. So how can we uh, avoid this kind of surprise veto power that can happen in a search? Yeah, and, and I think some of this is just like know thy investors, right? So I mean, it's, it's one of the, the, the key things from this podcast. Like understand, you know, do they want veto power? Um, you know, how, how do they want to be involved in the search? And then, you know, just understand, like, how opinionated is this person, right? Like, are, is your investor, you know, you know going to have a very, very strong reaction? <laughs> yes or no? Um, and then, you know, gear your process around that. So we actually, you know, we're going through um, a chief revenue officer search that also has a strong marketing component. He got, you know, he spent tremendous amounts of time. And even, like, our group, the value creation group, spent a tremendous amount of time with a couple candidates, and we brought them in for a test drive of the board. Um, you know, the, the Susquehanna folks, uh, you know, really liked them, but we had another board member, a fantastic person, um, but he had a very visceral reaction on, you know, kind of the preferred candidate. And, and in the end, we actually didn't end up hiring, um, you know, either candidate. So, you know, fundamentally, if you, if you know, hey, this person is going to have very strong opinions, a lot of times, especially if they came from the industry before, if they've you know, been part of similar businesses or you just know that, that they, they react strongly, get them involved earlier in the process. Um, make sure that they're aligned on how you create the scorecard. I can't emphasize that enough, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're aligned on the scorecard and you're you know, interviewing people effectively, <laughs> you know, hopefully that's going to minimize surprises. But, you know, have them do a phone screen. Like, don't be shy, you know, getting, um, you know, getting them to be part of the process. Um, so after that person maybe goes through a couple of discussions with, you know, maybe just the CEO and, the, and, and, and maybe whoever else you're, you know, is leading the search, have them talk to the investor, have them talk early, maybe even before you bring that candidate on site, um, and, and make sure that you're aligned around scorecards. So get them, get them involved earlier, even if it's just a phone conversation and align around scorecard. And then, you know, finally, of course, know thy investor and how much you got to press on both those angles to ensure no negative surprises. Sometimes you have a private equity investor that is seeing marketing as uh, an area to, to kind of cut costs in. You know, they want to kind of uh, cut their way to growth, uh, save their way to growth in a sense. Um, and sometimes they see it as the revenue generating area of the business. How should a marketing leader um, kind of ferret this out and uh, make a decision on whether to join a company or not based on, based on that, that focus area. And I'm, I'm wondering if you get the top marketers at the 
you know, if, even if you're in cost-cutting mode, whether you're going to be able to get the, the best marketers in that in that situation. So I think there's a broader question here: if they're cutting <laughs> cutting marketing significantly, you know, is the company really doing well? Is it a nice trajectory, or is it going to be a company where you're going to be interviewing in two years and you're going to have to explain why why uh, yeah. why things didn't work out that well? Um, you know, once you're in role, I do think. There's a lot of questions always around marketing effectiveness, and I do think the job of a VP of marketing or CMO is to provide justification around where they're investing and why, why you should continue to invest, right? So if I think of the best CMOs or VPs of marketing within our portfolio, they control their own destiny, right? You know, there's um, a, a great podcast the other day on, on Shopify and they're talking, um, you know, the, the founder there was talking about how, how he and the marketing team invested in six different things and the, the, as a pilot, and they found that all six were kind of positive ROI, right? So, you know, justify, have numerical fluency, you know, make sure your investors are aligned around the dashboard, make sure you're aligned with sales, that your leads are actually converting to revenue, and then provide that justification on how increased investment in marketing is going to drive growth and how you're going to be a good steward of that money. Right, so that that would be my number one thing is that you never you never want your board deciding for you. Um, maybe maybe in some cases they're gonna you know give you guardrails or constraints, but you really want to say, hey, for every dollar I get, I'm gonna show how I'm gonna generate tremendous returns and be a fundamental part of the growth story for this business. Starting to wrap up here, um, what do you think are the common pitfalls for a CEO to avoid as they launch a search for a marketing leader? Have a scorecard. Like, just know what you're looking for. Are you looking for someone in Marcoms? Are you looking for someone in lead gen? By lead gen, like, what do you mean? Like, how much mm-hmm. is this person going to have to build the fundamental infrastructure, you know, and how strong do they need to be on marketing operations, right? So align, 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 both within your management team um, and with your investors on what you're looking for, right? In particular, from a scorecard, and then secondarily, um, you know, from a, from a market map. There's always a few topics that come up in every search where we kind of have back and forth, right? So, number one is kind of the the vertical domain expertise. So, kind of like have those conversations actively. Like, do you need someone who knows your domain or your vertical, or do you not? Right. Um, you know, do you want someone who's a step up candidate who's maybe done part of the job, but maybe not all the job? Um, and, you know, how important is it for you that this person has seen kind of this story before? Right. Like if you're looking to scale from 10 to 50 million, have they have they seen that? Or are you willing to take someone who's maybe been in a little bit larger, a little bit smaller organization that you think is high potential? Right. So. You know, align on the scorecard, align on the market map, and then deal with those kind of critical friction points, you know, around domain, around experience, around step-up candidates, kind of in advance, right? Then, you know, lay out a good process, right? You know, so fundamentally, you know, the way that we think about funnel, um, you know, is, is you want to have probably 150 candidates in your pool, right? And from that 150, you know, you should get to about 20 candidates that you're going to screen versus your scorecard and assess, you know, whether they're really viable candidates to, to bring in, et cetera. You know, from those 20 that you're kind of doing, you know, a series of interviews, phone interviews with, you want to get to like five candidates that you're going to bring on site. You're going to really, really vet um, in detail. And then ideally you can get down to kind of two candidates where you can, you know, who are the finalists. Ideally you can do some sort of test drive and then you kind of keep, you know, one in, one in reserve. <laughs> 
and you get to that one candidate where you think you know they're really the the ideal candidate or or the most suitable candidate for the role in the business right so align on scorecard align on market map align on some of the key decisions and then make sure you kind of have that enough candidates in your funnel and that you're kind of hitting those numbers roughly as you go through the interview process and get to a uh, you know, successful conclusion of a search. Mm -hmm. That is the ideal, yes. And uh, some of them follow exactly that kind of uh, pipeline, and sometimes they don't. And uh, that's, the, that's the fun job of the search person, to you know, keep going, even if, uh, even if things pivot and shift a little bit. Yeah, we had one search where we looked, we had 900 candidates in our funnel to get to one. Oh, so it's definitely, oh definitely, uh, yeah. definitely ideal, but, uh, you know, reality can be tougher. And so, so don't, don't lose hope. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, David, this has been wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much. I've learned a ton and I'm sure, uh, the rest of the people listening, um, are learning as well. So thank you again. Hey, Erica, thank you so much, and, and best of luck to all the listeners out there as you grow your company. Thanks for joining us today for The Get. Join us next time with another guest. Till then, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify, or check us out on LinkedIn and Twitter so you don't miss a thing.